Hey, how you doing? This is Wade with Wade for Wireless. And welcome back for another episode of Wade for Wireless with all your wireless updates, news, and information. Just sit back and relax. Welcome back. Today we got a very special show where I have Deb Socia of Next Century Cities. That's right, Next Century Cities. It's exciting to me because here is a community, really a nonprofit community, that helps cities from day one. It helps from the political level on down. It helps when smart cities want to get started. It helps when they have an initiative and they need help. And what it is, basically... Next Century Cities is a collaboration of cities, a group, so to speak, that Deb has put together of cities that will help and support each other. They're a nonprofit, so they do look for donations. And I have the website on there. But basically, if you go to Next Century Cities, cities, C-I-T-I-E-S, Dot org, they will have links for all that. And I have it all in my blog at wadeforwireless.com. But first, I want to thank my sponsors, Tower Tracker Pro for all your closeout package needs, whether you're installing a site at a tower, a small cell site, or any equipment. The Tower Tracker Pro is a software as a service that will guide you through the closeout package. So you have all the pictures, data, and information you need to close out. How cool is that? I also want to thank Tower Safety and Instruction. TowerSafety.com. Go there for all your tower instruction training needs. Anything from tower training, safety training, and drone training, which now you can get online at teltech-college.com. And I will spell that T-E-L-T-E-C-H-C-O-L-L-E-G-E.com. Teltech-college.com, where you can get drone training, you can buy books, you can get 5G information deployment material, anything you might need. But they have a lot there, and it's online, and it's super easy to do. All right, so on with the show, I have the interview with the director of Next Century Cities, which is Deb Socia, and I really appreciate her coming on the show to show us how cities can collaborate and work together, not just cities, but communities. There's more than just cities in this. There are also counties and and, uh, uh, smaller towns, different groups that have come together that want to do Smart city initiatives mainly around broadband and deploying broadband because, like I always say, for the smart city infrastructure, you need some type of fiber infrastructure to carry the broadband out. Even if you're doing narrowband, you need wireless, you need microwave, you need fiber. You can do copper, you could do almost anything, but really... You're going to need fiber at some point. Wireless will carry you so far, but you're going to need fiber. We all want to connect wirelessly, but the wireless carriers, the wireless initiatives are all connected by fiber. It's just the way it is. It's That's the uh, model. Anyway, Deb does an outstanding job explaining this to us. I have all the links at wadeforwireless.com for Next Century Cities to figure out who to contact, what they're about, what their principles are. And their main principle is collaboration. Even though she doesn't say it as much, why start from scratch? Why recreate the wheel if somebody has done it? And why not learn from their mistakes? Why repeat mistakes? I think it's a good idea just to go ahead and learn from these cities, especially if they're willing to help. And Deb's group, Next Century Cities, is just the group to do that. Get you in touch with the right people, be it a vendor, be it a city, be it a town, be it a helper, be it a mentor. So there you go. I'm telling you, it's uh, really a great thing for these cities to collaborate like this. So without any farther ado, here 
here's the interview. Hey, everybody. Today on the line, I have Deb from Next Century Cities, and we're going to talk about smart cities. I know you're all excited. I know I've been talking about it a lot, and I brought Deb on because I wanted to get her perspective in Next Century Cities' approach to the way we approach helping cities get to the next level, if you know what I mean, to get to the smart city level, to become open to the opportunity and to see what's involved with it. And and I think that's where Next Century Cities comes in. But, hey, Deb, how you doing? I'm great, thanks. Oh, that's good. So, Deb, let's start. If you could give us some background on Next Century Cities, maybe a little history, what you do, some of your services, just basically a high level. Sure. So Next Century Cities has been around for two and a half years. We'll be three in November. We're a nonprofit membership organization that works specifically with cities that either want or have fast, affordable, reliable broadband. So uh, we came about because a group of mayors got together. Um, they were convened to talk about broadband in this country, and they said, you know what, this is really hard. We need a go-to source of unbiased information. We need a ready resource. And so out of that, Next Century Cities was born, and we provide local elected officials and local communities with information, um, opportunities to collaborate, opportunities to talk city to city. We create um, playbooks and do research. We've recently come out with some work on pole attachments and 5G. So lots and lots of things that are relevant and current and techie that can help our cities understand what's happening and be prepared. So your focus when you start is are the elected officials. I mean, you, you start there and then do you go deeper than that or do you just give them the information they need? to uh, get started? Well, to, you know, we, we have an awful lot of cities, right? We're 177 cities, and wow. we have cities as big as L.A. and as tiny as Alford, Massachusetts, which I believe has 400 residents. <laughs> um, so it's a wide variety from really quite rural and mountainous to really densely urban, densely populated urban. It, it varies by city. In some cities, I really my contact person is the mayor, but in most of the bigger cities, it tends to be the CIO or staff in the CIO's office. Usually somebody in a meeting hears about either an issue or has a question and they contact me and I help them figure out the solution. Wow, that's pretty cool. And you don't, you don't just consult them per se. I mean, you said you provide playbooks, you give them a, and if I'm putting words in your mouth, but you basically get them started with a plan of action. Is that safe to say? Well, we 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 tend not to tell people how to do that work. Rather, we give them options. So if a city wants a digital inclusion project, for example, I can talk about work that's being done in Austin, in Boston, in San Leandro, in Louisville, Kentucky, and I can connect them to people who are doing this work as well so that they can hear what's happening across the country. I can tell them advice based on my personal experience, but really a city, every city is so unique in their needs, in their interests, in, their, uh, in the, how conservative versus progressive the population is, how aggressive they want to be on a particular issue. So 
uh, it's really up to the city to take those steps, but we just provide them with the tools and the information so they can make an informed decision. Oh, that's pretty cool. So you go beyond just, uh, I mean, you're giving them references and ideas based on what's actually been done. I mean, is, that, that's the way mm -hmm. I take it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, it's a wide variety of issues in the, in the broadband space. So uh, it's really difficult to be a mayor, uh, especially if you don't have a big tech staff or any tech staff for that matter. Um, and, and keep up with everything that's happening. It's just too hard to do that. So we really try to provide that information. Are there, when you when you deal with a mayor or even the CIO or CTO, are they very open? I mean, are you very open, or do they want you to be confidential? And by that, I mean obviously I'm not talking about finances or anything, but I am talking about the planning and and things that you you offer them to do. Are you very open with that, or is it does the city like to keep that under wraps until there's a public announcement? It varies. Um, there are yeah. times when a city prefers not to make something public, especially if there's something concerning going on that they'd like some help to resolve. Um, they may not want to make a big public splash about that. Um, they love getting some positive attention when they're doing cool stuff, but really I let them guide me. If they want to keep it confidential, they can. Uh, but generally one of the really helpful things, to be honest with you, is if, if a city is experiencing a dilemma and they contact us, I can guarantee another city's had the same dilemma and could give them advice about what to do or maybe even what not to do. See, I think that's awesome, the way you connect other cities up, because Coming from you, they might be, and I don't mean any disrespect, but this, I, I work with a lot of public officials, and if I tell them something, they're like, well, you're just trying to consult me down your path. But if you can say, hey, talk to this city. This is what they've done, and talk to this city. That seems to help a lot more, and that's, it seems like that's what you do. You're like, hey, don't, don't just listen to me. Here you go. you got this guy. He's been there. He's done that. So right. That and, seems and like you know, a our, great plan. When you've got boots on the ground and you experience it yourself, different level of capacity to talk about it and give advice. And our elected officials really appreciate hearing from elected officials because that's a unique and difficult job. And our CIOs are great. They all talk to each other. You know, I always ask permission, can I make a connection with so-and-so about this issue? Every single time I have done that, every single person I've asked has said, of course. Wow. That's great. That's great that, you know, there's such camaraderie between cities like that. So can you tell us a success story, like someone you've worked with and, and really got them going? Well, you know, the I would say that probably the, the most public and most obvious uh, good news story we've got to share is that we helped uh, Chattanooga start their digital inclusion effort. Um, and it is wildly successful. It's been fabulous. So wow. uh, that kind of work makes you feel great at the end of the day. I believe that. That was a, that was a high-profile uh, initiative, everything they've done. Can you walk through, like, what you did and how you got them going, just from a high level, just maybe a few, few of the beginning steps and then how it led into what it is today? Sure, and, you know, I... Uh, I'll give you the high-level process of that. You know, they contacted me and said, hey, look, we're really looking to do some digital inclusion work. 
um, can you come down and give us a hand? So I went down. I spent a couple of days. I met with the community members. I met with principals. I met with people in the mayor's office, with some nonprofits. Um, I gave them advice. I connected them with a group that's doing similar work in Boston because I had worked on a similar project in Boston. Um, and I sort of walked through the whole process. And then uh, I went down one more time, met with folks in philanthropy, and we talked about the importance of this work and the data behind it. And they got it rolling. And honestly, they were so motivated. And it was such a universal concern by everybody that we spoke to that it was just really amazing. And the mayor had such great energy behind it. He so cares about this issue, Mayor Burke. So, yeah, it was really, it, it just was lovely to see the community come together around an issue that they all were concerned about. That's pretty cool. It's it's cool how they, they knew, but they didn't know exactly, they knew they wanted to be a smarter city, you know what I mean? They knew they needed the exactly. infrastructure to grow. And uh, you were able to guide them along and, and and get them started, you know. I think from there it was up to the, probably the mayor to really push it through because that's that's one thing I, I think uh, internally everyone has, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but, you know, each department has their own agenda. And it, it's really hard, I think, and you, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but if, if a mayor can get everyone united and everyone to working towards this one goal, even though each department may get something different out of it, I, I think it's... <laughs> I think it's an amazing feat because yeah. you always have resistance. Yeah, well, no matter what you do, uh, it's hard. I mean, no matter what the initiative, it's hard to make everybody happy. It's hard to find something that everybody can get behind. Um, Chattanooga actually is kind of wonderful that way. They, they as a community, really rally behind issues. And uh, I was very pleased to see the results. The project's been running now for over a year, uh, probably a year and a half, and has been amazingly successful. Oh, that's great. So when you go in there, you you not only work with the city, though. I mean, you have to, well, I don't know if you deal with them directly, but you have to give guidance on the utilities, on policies towards fiber expansion, on different ways to bring fiber and, and, and really uh, broadband into the city. Is that a complicated issue for you? Um, you know, I, I think that um, broadband access in general is complicated because there are so many factors that go into building out broadband to everyone. I mean, whether it depends on, you know, population density and topology, there's so many factors involved. Where is the money coming from? Do you want fiber to the home? You know, what is your... Uh, method of getting it done. And so, you know, we we do not take a stand. We are actually agnostic about which path you choose, but we make sure you know all the paths. That you can build it yourself and run it yourself. You can build it yourself and bring in a partner run it. Somebody else can build it, or you can do an open access network, or you can do a public-private partnership, or you can try to find a private partner who will do it, right? Like there are what are the things that you can do uh, to get from here to there? And then we do work with them on policies. So what would make you attractive to a partner? Having good ordinances in place, big wants policies, uh, one-touch make-ready, 
make sure you know where your assets are and identify them and have a public system for sharing that. Work on your procedures for your permitting. You know, finding ways that make you a good partner. So that's, you know, that's part of this process is really kind of getting those ducks in a row. Um, and so, yeah, we, we provide support on all of that. Wow, that's pretty amazing. And I think the most important thing, when when you deal with any city that wants to do a smart city, and you touched on it there, is, is the financing. Who's going to pay for it? How is it going to be maintained beyond the first, you know, three or four years? Because the city really has to think about that. Every time they implement something, they can't. If they shut it down, it's a problem. You know, once people get used to it, they can't just shut it down. So how do you deal with the financing? I mean, do you just give them examples of what's been done? Do you have partners, or how does that work? We we actually so uh, we actually will run the gamut of options with folks. You know, where where can you find the financing, and then connect them with cities that have done all of the above. So, you know. Uh, some cities have been able to do this with loans or bonds. Others have gotten grants. Uh, some have financed it themselves. Some have been um, through their utility. Uh, it's rare for a city to put up all the money to do this. In fact, I can I can only think of one city that uh, raised taxes to pay for their uh, broadband infrastructure. But um, so, you know, the variety really, again, so depends on the will of the community, right? Interesting. So when they raise taxes to do it, uh, did they do that to finance it up front or to continue, like, for the OPEX to operate it down the road? No, no, this was uh, both CAPEX and OPEX, and so they raised their taxes. I'm not sure what the exact amount was over a period of years. Uh, and what happens is they then are, um, this whole community was fiber to the home. Everybody got it. And believe it or not, all the prices of the houses went up. The houses are selling like crazy. I mean, it's really been good for the community. But the whole goal there was to um, was to make sure that it could be sustaining. And the problem had been that they had such bad access that they were unable to get, people couldn't work from home, you know, all the problems that we all know that happen when you can't get broadband. And so they were paying a lot of money for satellite and dial-up, which again was not reliable and not fast enough and really not affordable. And so in the end, if you raise your taxes a certain amount and then you get really amazing broadband, well, it's kind of a wash in cost, right? So I'd rather pay extra on my taxes, have great access, than pay a lot of money to a company that's not going to invest. I'm with you. That's pretty – I mean, I would pay higher taxes for fiber to the home, and then <laughs> that would be just awesome. And even for a basic package, and then I would pay more if I wanted more. I mean, is that the model they had, or what kind of – do you remember what kind of model did they have? I really don't want to try and give you the specifics because I know I won't be exactly accurate, but um, but it was uh, that type of model, right? You pay a certain amount and you can pay more for faster speeds. Wow. I think that is awesome. <laughs> I would gladly do that just for basic broadband. That would be worth it. 
I, anyway, I would I would gladly pay more taxes for that. I'm not a big fan of high taxes, and but uh, but for that, at least you're getting something for your money, something that you clearly get for your money. It's not something that's you know far away that they say we're going to do this with the higher taxes. It's like wow, I got broadband in my home. I only had to pay a couple bucks more a year. And the, the interesting thing in in my mind about some of these community built projects and community run projects is that. People are much happier with their customer service. Something that people don't always think about is the fact that customer service, when it's provided locally by your neighbors and the money that you're paying into it stays in your community, it, you sort of have a different feel about it. There's a sense of ownership and a sense of pride. And, you know, you make a phone call and you talk to the lady you saw in the grocery store or on the soccer field, Right. Yeah, so you feel more connected. That's a great point. It's it's more of a feeling of community. We did this, you know. This is ours. This isn't some company in a big city far away. Yeah, and the money wow. stays in the community, right? Yeah, so, um, yeah. That's pretty awesome. So, you're like Next Century Cities. Basically, you're a nonprofit, right? Yes, yeah. nonprofit. We're nonpartisan. Um, our mayors are all over the country, and uh, many are quite conservative, and many are quite progressive. So a broad mix. Wow, that's interesting. So when you when you work with a specific city and with a specific demographic, do you try to partner them with a similar city, or do you actually look at what their goal? And when I say similar city, let's say it's a highly conservative city. And uh, but they but they do you look at do you care about that or do you care about whether it's a country like a small city and try to match it up with another small city or do you wait to hear their goals like what they want to do and then pair them up with somebody that's done something similar? Does my question make it's sense? You see of, what I'm saying? Oh yeah, it does. It does. It's a bit of a mix, right? So um, you know, some of the really really conservative parts of the country have done some amazingly interesting and creative projects. So you know. Folks, folks in the Midwest and in Idaho, we have a project in Idaho which is very conservative, um, are willing to do just about anything to solve their own problems. They're really good at saying, hey, we got a problem, let's solve it. Uh, they aren't waiting for other folks to come in and fix it for them, and they just figure out a way to do it. And so they've been doing that for problems for hundreds of years, never mind on broadband, right? They've been doing this on in solving their own problems for many years, are very self-reliant. And so we shouldn't expect different in broadband, right? The the kinds of ways I make connections, though, is I hear their goals, we talk, and as we're talking, I say, hey, would you like to talk to so-and-so in Idaho? They also have a very conservative community, but the community is 100% behind the work they're doing. Or would you like to talk? because, you know, they had a hard time with their community and they figured out what worked for them and that might be interesting to you. So uh, it really depends on, on the issues. And, you know, and sometimes it's that conservative or progressive is irrelevant in the conversation, right? It's really about here's what we want to do. Um, I need to talk to somebody about how do I get a good engineering plan, right? And that would be a very different conversation. That's one thing I noticed. I noticed uh, 
I deal mostly with engineers and technical people. And I notice tech people, even they can be from completely different backgrounds, but they don't care. When it comes to the technology and the solution, that's all that really matters. Everything else just goes by the wayside. And it sounds like that's that's what you're saying. Every people look at the solution, they get creative with what they want to do, and I can only imagine creative. I, I think the problem with, and again, I'm, I think engineers sort of have blinders on. When we say creative, we usually just mean technically creative. But in your case, you have to be creative in the financing, creative in the fundraising, creative in the uh, in the technical solution. You have to be creative in the policy making. And I and granted, just like you said, other people have done it before. But boy, that must be a challenge because you're dealing with several fronts. You're not just dealing with like, oh, how do we get fiber in here? You're dealing with how do we get fiber in here? How do we make it attractive? How do we pay for it? And that must be a challenge. Yeah, I think what makes it so complex is the vastness of the United States, the variety of types of communities out there, a variety of terrain, um, variety of availability of assets already in the ground. I mean, there's so many factors that go into it. Occasionally, I'll have somebody call me and say, you know, we've got 10,000 people. How much will it cost to build fiber to the home? <laughs> I can't answer that question, right, because there are too many factors engaged in, in solving the question, in resolving that question. So, you know, it's, a, it's, it's why we exist. I wouldn't mind if we got to the point where we had ubiquity in this country and there was no need for this organization, but we aren't anywhere near that at this point. That's so true, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want everyone to work together. Well, the other thing is, I, I think probably your the most important thing you do is educate. You're probably educating these cities on what to do. And I'm not saying you have all the answers, but what I am saying is you put them in touch with the people that do. That, would you say that's really what your goal is, to educate them? Yeah, I, I don't pretend to be an expert at all, quite frankly. What I, I know quite a bit since taking this role, I've learned a lot. Um, but I know people that know a lot. And so a lot of experts around the country are willing to hop on a phone to talk with our members if I ask. So I can get an engineer on the phone with them. I can get, you know, Chris Mitchell from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance knows more about community broadband than anybody I have ever met. He'll hop on the wow. phone. He is our part-time policy director, so he's fabulous. I have lawyers, telecom lawyers, who will hop on a phone call with our members. You know, they don't they don't tell you how to solve your problem, but they tell you the steps to take, right? So you yeah. feel like you're getting that opinion you need in order to make an informed decision. Um, and I, I, I have to say that some of our members are just amazingly brilliant at this, and they are so generous with their time, and I, I feel lucky to have met so many brilliant folks who've been willing to take the time to teach me. Um, when I took this job, I had no clue how important pole attachments were, for example. I feel like I know a lot about pole attachments. <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing. I mean, people don't realize what goes into just deploying, and you said about pole attachments, whether it's fiber or whether you're hanging a small cell on a pole. There's more to it. You just don't go out and, you know, put a hanger up and put a put something to the pole. 
there's a lot more to it. There's leasing agreements, there's permitting, there's zoning, there's, uh, uh, I want to say. There's aesthetics, right? You don't want some big, ugly thing in front of somebody's plate glass window that's facing the ocean, right? Yeah. So uh, how do you how do you plan for appropriate aesthetics given the community and the location and the, the needs of the community and and what do you do if you want to do broadband except that the community only has underground right how does all of this happen and so yeah it's pretty complex and I think for our cities very complex especially the ones like I said earlier that do not have a large tech department. Now there's talk of people that are going to try to build a smart city from the ground up, like developments and industries and offices and things like that. You know, someone, let's say someone were to purchase, say, a thousand acres, you know, hypothetically. Would you get involved in something like that before it's even a real city? I mean, if they came to you and said, how do we plan this? What do we do from day one? Is that something you would get involved in? I'd be interested in getting involved. We typically don't have anybody at a, as a member that doesn't have some elected council of some sort, right? So in most towns, that's a mayor. In some towns, city council president. president. In some towns, it's the elected official who's part-time unpaid who then connects me with the town manager, right? So mm-hmm. it really depends so much on the town. That's really interesting. I, I just think about what work it is to, <laughs> for somebody to take take on, you know, the the undertaking of bringing broadband to the city. You know, it's it, and it's just like you said. I can imagine people call you and say, "Well, we got a hundred homes. How much is it to run fiber there?" And you you probably and I know you don't want to be rude, but you're probably rolling your eyes like, "Oh." <laughs> I'm actually saying to myself, okay, we have a learning curve here, right? <laughs> That's really oh, what yeah. I'm I totally get being in that circumstance because, you know, one of our mayors owns the auto parts store in on Main Street. What does he know about building uh, broadband infrastructure? He knows it's important. And so I'm really happy to be supportive. And and in the end, he's a great advocate for broadband. He doesn't have to know everything. You know, I I sometimes will ask the mayor, do you know how deep the asphalt is on your street? And most of them say no. I say, yeah, but you still know streets are important, right? So you don't have to be an engineer to understand the importance of the infrastructure. That's a good point. That's a good point. As as long as as long as they get it, the value of of what it can do for the city. Is that fair to right. say? Right, and, yeah, and get some education about the sort of uh, specific policies and efforts and, the you know, get good advice either internally or bring in advice so that you can be sure you've got, you're making the best decisions. So it's a big investment, you know? Oh, it's huge. Yeah, and it's an ongoing investment. You don't just pay once and it's there. It's not like, and well, I know this isn't true, but like, a, like when you put in street lamps, the big expenses up front, of course, then you got to pay for the electric. Broadband's like that, too. The big expense is laying out the fiber, and then, then you have to pay for the ongoing service and the maintenance and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very interesting. So you have a lot of members. 
Does someone have to be a member to come to you for help? Do they have to join first, or how does that work? Uh, sometimes folks come to me and say, I really need your help, and I go through the, the membership piece. There are some things we will only do for members and some things we will happily do for anyone. So oh, okay. it depends on the depth of the request. But when somebody does ask us, I do encourage them to become a member. You know, the power of this group is in the group, right? So, uh, for example, when um, we had some concerns about, for example, the potential changes in lifeline, our mayors signed letters. Not every mayor, but a lot of our mayors signed letters. Uh, when we were concerned about what the infrastructure bill might look like, we wrote a letter to President Trump and had our mayors that were interested sign on. And when you can get a large group of mayors to agree on something as important as that, it gets attention. So the power of the number of people is really a big part of what makes Next Century Cities uh, a force, right? It gives us a voice. Once you become a member, what like do they do the mayors talk to each other? I know it sounds like you organize and help really get things going when you see an issue in the in the smart city or the uh, broadband uh, arena. But do they continue to talk to each other? Do you have meetings or calls or how? I mean, is there anything we there do. that helps them connect? We have a big mix of things that we do. So, for example, on August 3rd, we're having an event called City Vendor Connect because one of the things we recognize is that part of what happens is cities aren't aware of all the creative solutions there might be out there. And so we uh, talked to some cities, we talked to some vendors, we said, would it be helpful to you to do sort of a speed networking day where you talk to each other? The cities explain what their needs are. Here's a solution I have that might work for you. And then we switch and you talk to somebody else. And so that's really what we're doing. It's called City Vendor Connect. We have just a couple of panels, one on financing, an issue you mentioned earlier, and one on the importance of um, cities and vendors collaborating as opposed to, you know, there's sort of mistrust sometimes on both sides. So what we're trying to do is build relationships, build collaborations, conversations that could potentially lead to the next level. So uh, we also do regional summits. So we had one in Mesa a few months ago, Mesa, Arizona. Mm -hmm. uh, prior to that, we've had them in Seattle. We had one in Portland, Maine. And then we uh, also are collaborating with the town of Ammon, Idaho, 12,000 people. They have a really cool open access network. And on, on October 5th, um, the city uh, will be hosting folks out there to take a look, to hear from them about their story. It's called the Ammon Model. And so it's pretty cool to be able to go and actually speak to the folks that created it and maintain it and to talk to the mayor and the CIO and see it in action. So That's pretty uh, cool. our mayors and our CIOs do get together. We're also, we typically always also collaborate with broadband communities and their conferences. So we're, we typically do two or three panels of elected officials and CIOs at those events as well. So we're pretty active around the country and uh, like to be able to 
provide opportunities for mayors to collaborate and also for them to share their successes. That really helps get the word out. And I think uh, I think the fact that you do, it just seems like you do a lot for your members. It seems like that you try to keep them in touch, you try to keep them in tune, but you're also trying to get them to meet, uh, like, like you said, you have the Vendor Connect. You try to get them to meet other cities. You try to get them to talk to people to see what's been done. That sort of gets the... Uh, to me, that gets the ideas flowing. You know what I mean? It sort of makes other people think, yeah, we can do this. They did it. They did it in Idaho, for heaven's sake. <laughs> well, know? and you know, we, in addition to those resources, we do a weekly email update. We call it the weekly download. And in that, we include information about what's happening happening at the federal and state level, but also what's happening in some of the individual cities. Cool stories about um, projects and opportunities within cities ac- across the country so that cities can say, hey, that he did that really cool thing in San Francisco. Hey, Doug, can you connect me there? I'd love to ask about it. Um, you know, San Leandro has an Adopt-A-Drain program that's all done online, and people adopt a drain and keep it clear of leaves so the water can run and off the fire hydrant because, of course, there would be snow that would be of concern. Uh, so those are cool opportunities for people to say, hey, that's a, a neat solution that helps the city, that crowdsources information and people's energy and, and support. It's just great. You know, we we also ran a huge civic engagement effort. Um, so it's, it's called the Benton um, Next Generation Civic Engagement project and we'll be coming out with a playbook in the fall and that the playbook will go live in September. So also very cool, great opportunities for encouraging citizens to be more active um, and using technology to do so and at the same time all three of these projects worked in a way that helped to ensure that everybody had access to the opportunity. Yeah, so we have a wide range of interest. Yeah, it's pretty cool. As far as membership, is it just uh, cities that can be members, or do you allow, I mean, do companies join, do vendors join, or is it just cities? It's cities, cities, counties, municipalities. Yep, municipalities. So we have several counties and uh, lots of really tiny towns. And cities, it could be a tribal nation, uh, though we don't have one yet. We welcome one to join. So any entity that has an elected official actually could. We don't have vendor partners, but we do have vendor supporters who will uh, connect with us and actually provide us. Some of them have given us some small donations, which help to keep us afloat because we primarily rely on dollars from philanthropy, so it's good to diversify the funding. Uh, and we're a really small org, right? So anytime we get a donation, it's a good day. How do you go about getting donations? Do you have fundraisers, or do you just, how do you reach out to people? Well, you know, um, typically we we actually don't spend tons of our energy on that right now. We need to, but because we are literally... 2.5 FTEs, you know, two and a half employees. Um, it's pretty hard to devote a lot of time there. So uh, we're we're, <laughs> you guys are we're busy. pretty busy, and and I do ask, 
you know, I obviously do that, but I would love to have a more diverse funding source, which as we, we're actually about to engage in a strategic planning process, and that's one of our focuses, right? But moving forward after your third year, you really got to start thinking about how to be sustained. Yeah, I'll say you really got to get the word out there. I mean, that's uh, <laughs> you're you're doing a lot of good though. That's a, that's a great thing. I mean, think of what you've done yeah. for all these cities. I think if people knew that and they saw the value you added, that would be a great thing. And I think the vendors that, that are interested in this or that want to support this would want to support your team because look at all you've done. You, you connect with other cities, and you've 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 really built something up that's great. I mean. Pretty cool, you know. Cities actually have a way to reach out to other cities without feeling awkward, or you know, just like if a small city, if there's a small town out there and they want help, chances are if they call like a larger city, they're you know they're not going to get very far. But through your group, they actually have a shot at not only speaking to somebody, but speaking to somebody knowledgeable enough to understand their problem and help them through it. That's where I see yeah, the real value. I'm a bit of a cog in the wheel, right? I I have been lucky enough to get to know a whole bunch of folks, and uh, people are very generous about supporting one another. And so it's much easier to get somebody on the phone if you get an introduction than if you try to figure out who in the city to contact and send an email randomly. So it's much easier to do it this way. And, and so I think that's been a huge value for all of our members. Do cities, when you when you uh, a city comes to you for help, do they bulk up being members, or are they usually pretty excited to sign up? Most people are really excited to, and in fact, we don't do tons of recruitment because, uh, like I said, we're a pretty small org. But in fact, you know, 177 in two and a half years, pretty much came um, because there's such a need, you know. So. Uh, one city talks to another city and I get a phone call, right? Uh, yeah. Or I go to a conference and talk about what we're doing and I give out my cards and they contact me. So that's really been most of our members have come on that way. I think that's awesome. And I think it's I think in two and a half years you've come a long way. I mean, it's really impressive. I mean, to, to get all those cities, you know, to sign up and to get – to help as many cities as you have, to go from zero to where they are now, or even maybe just to get to the next level. I mean, I'd be really proud of that. Good job, Deb. Good job. Well, thank you. Thank you. We're really, we really are happy to be able to be uh, a part of the story when it comes to helping cities be more informed. We do want them to have um, information that, that feels unbiased, uh, non-political, Right, this is not a political issue, even though sometimes at the state and federal level it seems that way. Locally, it's not, and so they want something that's the straight information. What does this really mean to me in my city? Well, I think I, I see such value in that. And again, the other thing I learned from going to smart city summits and meetings and you know conferences. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm going to go back to like an engineer's mindset. They only look at like the technical part, laying the fiber, getting the broadband, what equipment do you need. But I think what, what, what a lot of people, and I learned this the hard way when I went to these conferences, there is a psychological value to being a smart city for the people, for the residents. It's a big deal. It makes people want to live there when they have broadband everywhere. 
it's it's bra- it's not only bragging rights, but just like you said in the beginning, people can work from anywhere when there's broadband everywhere. It it makes such a difference in economic development, in business, and in income. It really gives a boost to the city. The financing, you cover financial issues. That's that's the one thing. Again, you know, any vendor out there wants to get paid, but they really don't assist. Many of them don't assist with the financing. You cover that. I mean, you really help cities figure it out what their model should be and you know how to pay for it. I mean, those two issues alone are huge. And again, like I said, coming from an engineer's mindset. We don't even view those. We have blinders on. We don't even look at those issues. And there you are solving them. <laughs> so I think well, that's great. It's interesting because the complexity of these problems and complexity of the solutions means that more and more vendors are actually looking for ways to do the soup to nuts, to help find the financing, to help you know figure out the engineering, to help cities uh, decide... Um, who to partner with for managing if they don't want to manage it. I mean, there's a lot more of that I'm seeing in the last year than I had seen previously. Um, and for some cities, that you know makes them feel more comforted, right? So, they, what I what I like about the space is that the solutions are so varied um, that they actually, if we as a country really cared about this issue enough, we could solve the problem, right? And uh, But, you know, uh, uh, at one point I was speaking on the Hill and and somebody asked me, what would it take to fix this, to get everybody in this country connected? And I said, well, the will to do it, one, but second, the money, right? This is uh, expensive for communities to take on themselves and uh, we certainly didn't expect them to solve all of the problems when it came to roads and electricity um, or telephones, for that matter. So, what you know, what can we do to really incentivize and, and help fund um, local community solutions? You, you were saying about a, a unified mindset. I well, you didn't say mindset, but I, I do believe that because they have to have, just like you said, the will to do it. And I think now, today, I, I think, I, I'm just guessing, but I would say over 90% of the cities now have the will to do it. They probably sat on it, they waited, they had every excuse, it's too expensive, we don't need it, it, it does it really make a difference? Now we have proof it does. I mean, every city sees growth, they, and just like, they, they, there's so much more you can do. There's so many more businesses that can grow, that can expand. So many new businesses, a small business owner can do so much more with mobile broadband than they ever could before. It's really mm-hmm. been a game changer. So, yeah, well, it's definitely different. I tied you up long enough. I, I okay. tied you up long enough, Deb. I, I, I do appreciate you being on the show. I really appreciate it. So, what is the best way for people to follow you, to get your information? What's the best? And I'll put I'll put the link to your website and everything on my blog. So. Right, it's nextcenturycities.org, and all of the information about our events, lots of resources, lots of information lives there. You can see who all our cities are. Um, you can contact me either through the contact me page there, or through my email address, which is deb at nextcenturycities.org. Deb at nextcenturycities.org. 
Exactly. Okay. I just repeat it. That way everyone gets it. <laughs> makes it easy. No problem, Deb. I, I really did enjoy it. And I, I, I told you before we had an interview so I could better understand what you do. Because, so, like I said, I didn't want to ask stupid questions <laughs> when I came out here. But It was great talking to you, Aiden. I appreciate the opportunity to share about Next Century Cities and the cool stuff our members are doing. I think it's awesome. All right. Thanks, Deb. Take care. So there you go. It didn't disappoint, did it? Now you know that smart city initiatives are more than just about presenting a technical solution, but also about cities working together and collaborating and getting ideas and getting it from the idea stage to reality. I hope you enjoyed it. Everyone be smart, be safe. Remember, I have the 5G deployment handbook for sale and I also have the LTE deployment handbook for sale. I'm just saying. (laughs) Be smart, be safe, and pay attention. See ya! (laughs) 